happy. Oh, she's so good. I'm so paranoid. I felt this little bump on her, and I was like, what is that? And it feels like a like a lump inside. And I was like, what, mm-hmm. what is it? And I felt it. And then she adjusted the way she was laying, and it went away. And I was like, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so it's just, just a bone. It's just being a dog. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Speaking of bone. So we got her these bones that are like dental chews. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're soft. They're like meant for digestion and they're meant to be eaten. Um, but something for her teeth to just like chew on. Right. Well, (laughs) I tried to make a big deal about it the first day because she doesn't chew anything and which is good weird on on one side, but also like be a dog. It's okay. Um, and so I made this big deal about it the first day and I was like, this is for you. And I got this for you and you know, it's your special thing and it's your treat. And now she won't eat it, but she carries it around with her and makes sure that, like, if I switch which room I'm hanging out in, she'll make sure to go grab it and bring it to the new room with her and just hold it in her mouth. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you cute-ass dog. Oh, my God. She's so cute. She's Fiona so and I were talking about how cute your puppy is. She's so cute. I was like, you sweet angel. It is. It's for you to eat. Like, I even tried putting it in her bowl, and she just carefully takes it out. Because oh. it's, her, it's her sweet little gift. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Now we just got to find another way to care for her teeth. Wow. Isn't that cute? I love that. I love it so much. She's such I love a that sweet. hard. Me too. <sighs> She's so good. Um, what were you going to ask me? There's something you were going to ask me, but you wanted to wait. Now I'm really curious. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, because you were talking about yoga with Adrian. Yes. And I love yoga with Adrian, but I have a really hard time motivating myself. So what if we, like, not necessarily on the podcast, or, like, uh, if you're listening, then, like, feel free to join in, I guess. But Could we turn this into a yoga podcast, Taylor? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, well, just, like, I more mean, like, what if me and you, like, texted each other and we're like, hey, I'm going to do this yoga with Adrian. Which okay. yoga with Adrian are you going to do? Because then, then, like, I feel like if I had some accountability and not even necessarily, like, on the same – at the same time since we've got, a you know, time difference, but – And work schedules and – And, know. like, work and – Yeah. I feel like yeah. I would do it a lot more if I was, like, texting you, like, I'm going to do, you know, this one. Yeah, I love that. I've been doing the, like, various 30-day whatever ones that she puts together. Ooh. But the more and more I do it, the more I'm finding out, like, certain days I'm really looking for, like, a really challenging, like, 40-minute one. Yeah. The one that day will be, like, 12 minutes of wind down. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think I'm going to move and just start picking them. I'm going to subscribe to her YouTube channel and just start picking whatever I feel like that day. Because she's got, you know, yoga for every mood, every everything. Yeah. And so I think I'm just going to start picking them based on how I feel that day. And I think it'll be good for me to check in, like, emotionally with myself and be like, how do I feel today? What do I need today? Oh, my God. Reagan. Yes, Taylor. Lord, this is just like this is just what I have needed all week long. Good. That's what all this week long is supposed like, to be. I'm gonna cry. I know. All week. 
I love it. I've just been like, man, I can't wait. But it was also that like, that like fun thing of like, oh man, this is just another thing that I have to do. And then like, I came home, not, not like in a bad way, just in a, like, I am mentally tired and like could easily just lay around forever, you know? And then I like came home and was like thinking about it. And I was like, no, what do you like? What am I talking about? Like, this is something that I'm so hyped for. And I just like got super hyped to talk to you. And I was like rereading my thing about my lady. And I was like, yeah, suck it, mental health. This is good for you. Suck it, mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I have to remind myself, like, listen, like, sometimes I just have to force feed my mental health things that it needs because it doesn't know what it needs, you know? Yeah, I feel like that a lot. It's it always <laughs> um it comes down to like whenever I feel lethargic and sad or whatever it is, whatever the yeah. emotion and I just want to take a nap. I'm like or if I did some yoga right now, I would get some endorphins and I would feel better. You or know, I need to start like, put on some fun music and went for a walk because music affects my mood a so 100%. And yeah. so I know that if I just like put on some fun music that I love and walk around, I will feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love this. And I'm so excited about this episode, even though I feel yeah. like hot trash right now. I'm sorry. But it's okay. I mean, it's not. It's really shitty. But that's one thing that... um sweet Evan has been the best about is that like every time he's like I'm sorry you don't feel well and I'm like no it's fine and he's like no it's not like it's okay for it not to be fine like it's it's okay and so that's just like always a nice reminder of like that I've like caught myself doing a lot it's like no 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 never mind it's fine like no because yeah you you don't have to make excuses for it you don't need to accept this as your new normal yeah man Um, I'm such a fan of you I'm such a fan of you. <laughs> oh, that's so convenient. Isn't it? Look how that oh. out. Hey, since I am such a fan of you, um, mm-hmm. do you want to do a podcast? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love know, this. We can just, what if we that. just had a whole episode that was just this, where it's just us just like not talking about. That would be yeah. boring, probably. I mean, it'd be fun for us. It'd be really fun for us, but, like, boring for everybody else. I don't know. I think we'd have those three people. Have you seen that gif of, like, my three friends that like everything I put online, and it's a kid dancing on a balcony, and then the video pans down to the street, and there's three people dancing exactly <laughs> like him? No, but oh, I love It's that. one of my favorite video slash gifs of all time. It's I love that. so good. Um... Do you want to tell the people what we're about? I would love to tell the people what we're about. People. Those three people. <laughs> our three loyal fans. <laughs> Listen up. Who would our three loyal fans be? It'd be like Fiona, Dylan, and Trevor. And Caitlin. We have four loyal fans. We have so many loyal fans. Good Lord. Oh look God. at us go. Thank you. Um, okay. Loyal fans and other. We <laughs> are two friends. Who unfortunately live very far apart. But we decided that we were bummed about pretty much everything pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. And 
we discovered that our way, and by we discovered, I mean Taylor discovered, that our way of combating that should be to research incredible women and tell each other their stories and hype them up to each other, thereby hyping up each other and ourselves to go be badass women in our own lives. And we call it Babe Town, and we love it a whole bunch. Love it so much. We love it so much. And it has had the exact effect that we wanted, if not more. Uh Because there are so many badass women that just, you know, they did what they were going to do, and it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, Also, caveat to that, this is spooky badass women month. Yeah, and... This week, last week, you just kind of tipped your toe in, and this week I'm just kind of tipping my toe in. Oh, that's nice, because I dove in this week. (laughs) Great! Oh, my God. Also, I have a theory about who who your lady is, but I'm not going to say it, because I don't want to be wrong, because if I am wrong, I'm going to do her, like, next week, so. Well, my lady is pretty well-known. It's, she's not really an unknown, like, most of the time. She's, she's pretty well-known, but I got to. Oh, this makes me think even more that. Yeah, I know who the lady is. I'm sure you know who it is. But okay, well, let's just get into it. What who? What year was your well, lady first, born? First, first. Oh. Hey. Oh. Are you having a beverage at all? Oh, I am having a diet coke because. Nice. I thought about maybe having a white claw because you know. Yeah. But then I was like, you know. Hey. There is no requirement that your beverage has to be alcohol. That's it's true. It's just always so much more fun if it is. That's true. You know, what's your beverage? Um, My beverage, my sweet boyfriend for my birthday got me a bottle of my favorite kind of gin. It's, oh my God. It's so good. It's like, it's super spiced, not like spicy, but like mm-hmm. it has herbs mm-hmm. and spices to it and it smells and tastes like Christmas. And wow. so I'm super ready to go to the German Christmas Mart, and I'm ready for scarves, and I'm ready for all of it. And so I'm drinking a, a little nipper of my favorite gin. This one is the the St. George Terroir, the green oh. label. Yeah, it's super, like, peppercorny and spiced, and that's really nice. I like it. Uh, so when was your lady born? First of all, I asked you first. Second of all, 1873. All right, I'm going first. Yeah, you are. Oh, my God. Can I take a guess? Yes, you can. Since I'm pretty sure that I know who it is. I'm sure you do. Go ahead. Are you doing Mary Todd Lincoln? Oh, no, I am not. Oh, shit. Okay, well, then dibs for next week. (laughs) That's totally fair. But I am doing Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans. (gasps) Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. It's... I, girl, I love Marie Laveau. I am, man, I, okay, yeah, hit me, go. All right, all right. I can't wait. So, Marie Catherine Laveau, voodoo queen of Nolens, (laughs) um, some, well, okay, first of all, just a overarching theme of her life is it's super hard to substantiate truth from rumor. Um, I will do a lot of, like, most accounts say this. Some mm. accounts say this. No one gotcha. really knows. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, like, 
even her birthday, people were like, maybe it was 1795. We're pretty sure it was 1801. And then somebody was like, September 10th, 1801. I was like, that's competent. Specific. People who don't know Mm -hmm. the year. (laughs) She's born around 1800 in New Orleans. Her mother was named Marguerite, and she was a freed slave. And her father was named Charles, and he was a free and wealthy mixed-race businessman. Her mother was the mistress of her father. So technically, she was an illegitimate child. Um, But she was the first generation of her family that was born free. Um, Wow. Yeah. Cool, right? Super cool. So her mother, it said, went back to her father after she was born. So I guess she couldn't be a mistress and have a baby. I don't know. Um, so Marie was raised by her grandmother, who was the voodoo queen at the time. And her mom might have been a voodoo practitioner also. Again, no, I mean, question marks. What's a voodoo queen? I'm going to get into voodoo and, like, explain voodoo for a bit, and then we'll get back into her life. Um, so voodoo as a religious system is derived from spiritual practices from, I think, I'm, I'm going to do my best with these pronunciations, um, Dahomey, which was a West African kingdom that is in modern Benin. Okay. Um, so the Fon people, uh, they call them the Fon Amazons, lived and still live in that region of West Africa. And the, the Fon word voodoo, which was spelled V-O-D-O-U, not like the V-O-O-D-O-O that mm-hmm. we have in America. Um, that word meant spirit or deity. And the voodoo that was practiced in New Orleans was not the same voodoo that was practiced in like Haiti or in West Africa. They took the spiritualism, naturalism, and herbalism, and then it was mixed with European Catholicism because when the slaves were brought over on the trans, trans- oh my goodness, here we go. I'm believing you. Atlantic slave trade. There we are. There we are. Uh, They were all christened and orally taught Catholicism, Catholic religion. And they found a lot of parallels in their home religion because the basis of voodoo is a, um, a protection. So in like praying to the saints and all of that kind of stuff, they saw a lot of parallels in the roots of voodoo being protection. That's so interesting. Uh, right? So the roots were in African voodoo mixed with European codes, laws, and oppression. And then they, the practitioners or conjurers would work with herbs, roots, charms, and amulets, mostly for healing and positive outcomes. But a few of them worked for harm or had amulets for curses. And so that led to the sensationalized American voodoo, which then mixed with white people, assumed it was part of the occult. Interesting. Their voodoo rituals involved chants, prayers, drums, and dancing, which all sound super normal for a religion. But people outside the religion, mostly white people, would sneak into the trees to watch and they would spread rumors to newspapers that were grossly exaggerated and they would make up random shit to make it sound crazy. So it was never accepted as a religion in the U.S., which is why it's still associated with the occult. Um, Wow. Yeah. 
Oh my God. I had no idea about any of that. I didn't either. It is fascinating to read about the history of voodoo, specifically New Orleans voodoo. Um, wow. Because yeah, it's a religion. They are, pra- And it's not mutually exclusive with Catholicism. Marie Laveau was a devout Catholic and a voodoo practitioner. What? Oh my because God. They, they saw them working because it's naturalism and herbalism. Like they saw them yeah. work together, you know? Um, wow. So first she studied under her grandmother and then she studied under a man named Dr. John Bayou, who was apparently a famous um, voodoo practitioner and root worker. Hang on. So her grandma is a voodoo queen. So is that like, yeah. so is that like a bishop or something? So from what I can understand is like, there are women that, and it's only women. There are, there are, that's not true. I'm sorry. I take that back. There are higher up men practitioners also, but specific communities would have a voodoo queen. And that would be the person that everybody would go to for advice, or they would be the ones leading most of the rituals. And then they would have a voodoo king that would be their like second in command that would help them um, with the rituals and with the ceremonies. Gotcha. Okay. So technically queen is highest and then king is their second in command. Um, and it, it sounds community based. So like each city has their own voodoo queen. Gotcha. Um, okay. So in 1819, when she's 18 years old, she married a man named Jacques Perry. Um, the church christening records show that they have two daughters, uh, one named Felicity and one named Marie Angelie. But that's where the records end. And so people assume that they, the two girls died of yellow fever, but nobody really knows. Oh my God. So there could be, there could be secret and no. Oh, Ancestors is the old one. Descendants is. It gets so much better. Oh, oh my God. Okay. This is the very beginning. Oh my God. Um, so then Jacques, her husband disappears. And while he is gone, she starts going by the widow Perry when she's in her twenties. And so then he's just generally believed to have died. But there's no death record, there's no cause of death, there's no body, no one knows what happened to him. It's just assumed that he died, and she starts going by the widow Perry in her 20s. Okay, in her 20s? Oh, that's so young. Um, so then she falls in love with a wealthy white man of noble French background named, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Jean-Louis Christophe Dominique Dumini de Glapion. Sure. Has that two, sounds great. Three, four, five, six names. He has six names. Oh, that sounds great. Um, we're going to call him Christoph. You're going for a middle one. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Sure. If you have six names, would you choose the first one or would you just pick your favorite? I don't know. No, I'd, pro- I'd probably pick my favorite. Um, so anyway, she falls in love with this man. And though mixed racial relationships were really common in New Orleans, they still weren't legal. And so they entered a common law marriage that they were in for 30 years until he died. Like it was the rest of their lives. It was her one big love. Mm. Um, So the records show that they have seven kids and two of them survived past childhood. 
but it is commonly believed that they had 15 children total over 20 years, and definitely one, but maybe two of them lived to adulthood. That is so many people coming out of one person. One person? Mm-hmm. That's like, that's like a classroom full of people. Because with the two before, that's 17. That's, that's like the number of people that, like, would have a three-hour wait at Moose's Tooth. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, okay, we can exclusively refer to groups of people as in how long their wait would be at Moose's Tooth on Friday night. Exclusively, from here on out. Okay. <laughs> that is the best thing I have ever heard. So he gives birth to a three and a half hour wait of people. Okay, great. That's, <laughs> wow. That's I monumental. Love <laughs> I love this so much. Um, so she works as a hairdresser for wealthy elite women where she starts hearing all the hot goss about everybody in town, their servants and their slaves. So then she could convince people that she had mystic powers. Just by, like, eavesdropping a ton? Yeah. Um, One website called her, quote, the 19th century Cleo. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Such a good reference. Um, (laughs) But mostly people would come to her for advice on everything from love to politics to childbearing or professional strategy or relationship, like, everything. She was the woman that everybody went to for advice. And then she would house weekly meetings where participants dressed all in white. They would chant and sing, and then they would leave offerings of liquor and food to the spirits. Which, like, okay. So they're leaving Mm -hmm. offerings to the spirits. Does she just keep those? or? (laughs) She's just got, like, a little, like, Harry Potter closet. Yeah, she's full of, like, trinkets and shit. Like offerings to the spirits, wink, wink. I'll make sure that they get there <laughs> to cross the realms of spirituality. Okay. What kind of what kind of offerings? Like 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 spirity offerings that you like don't really want to use or like it said liquor and food. Oh shit, son! Well, like I just like yeah, just he, feeding her. Yeah. Wow. But I don't know. Maybe she buried them in the backyard. I don't know. Hmm. Um. But she also saw individual clients for, um, I guess you would call them meetings. I'm not really sure. The New York Times wrote about her uh, that, quote, lawyers, legislatures, planters, and merchants all came to pay their respects and seek her offices. So wealthy, poor, black, white, she helped everyone. Everybody was a fan. And they so... They're just going to her for, like, general advice, then. Advice or voodoo prayers or healing or amulets. Like, the whole nine yards. Cool. Um, But the wealthy, specifically the white, didn't want to be seen going there. So they would sneak to her cottage late at night with, like, veils over their faces and stuff. Oh, my God. White people, just be a little bit chill. Terrible secrecy. Yeah, they're the worst. Like, Um, oh, my God. But it said that she welcomed everyone into her home day or night provided food and a warm place for them to stay for the night. Like she was just the best. Wow. Um, Wow. It was said, quote, she could get a person into or out of city hall 
She was accused of causing the deaths of a lieutenant governor and a governor. Many condemned her as a witch, while others praised her as a saint. Damn. Yeah. She basically had the city of New Orleans in the palm of her hand. She was, quote, all in all, a most wonderful woman who did good for the sake of doing good. Um, she got no reward except for prejudice and loathing because racism. Yeah. Um, but she would nurse yellow fever patients. She would post bail for free women of color. She was the hero of the condemned. She would beg for mercy on their behalf. Um, she openly opposed capital punishment. And if people were condemned to die, she would sit with them, providing prayer and counsel in their final hours leading to execution. Yeah. She was just a wonderful woman. Wow. Who wanted to help the world. Wow. Um, she was, quote, gifted with beauty and intelligence. She ruled her own race and made captive many of the other. Which is one of my favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. She just seemed like she had this, like, a little bit of flair for theatrics, a huge personality, and a heart for people. And everyone loved her. Wow. Um, she is known as a super charitable woman to the community and... Also, some accounts said that she had slaves, which doesn't make any sense to me. Oh. Uh, from all accounts, especially being the first born free member of your family, it feels like that's so close to home. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Uh, so she would hold ritual meetings at her home in, or she would hold ritual meetings, sorry, in one of three places, either her home or in this place called Congo Square, which was set aside by city officials for African peoples to use both free and slaves. And a place called, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I'm sorry, everyone from New Orleans, Lake Pontchartrain. Sure? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Great. Um, where there would be the dancing, the drums, the singing, the whole nine yards. And curious white people would sneak into the woods and exaggerate what they saw. And so newspapers were printing that she had drunken orgies and all of this crazy shit. Although I'm pretty sure because almost every account says that she did have a snake named Zombie that was named after an African god. So that I think that part is real. Wow. And like, why wouldn't you? You know? Why? Yeah. I mean, if yeah. Wow. A snake. Yeah. What kind of snake? That's a great question. A zombie one. Okay, I'll take that. For sure. Um, so various women throughout New Orleans would try to challenge her status as queen. And one of them was named Rosalie and she erected a huge wooden statue of a doll in front of her house. And she started telling people like a life-size doll, which is the scariest thing in the world to me. That's super chill. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) Can you imagine her neighbors were just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. But she started telling that it was like an ancient African tribute like she found it in Africa and all this stuff and so people started like fear and respect both it and her and Marie was like no 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 that's that's not happening so she stole it and Rosalie obviously took her to court but <laughs> where do you hide that I have no idea where do you what like where do you hide wait maybe her like, snake ate it are we talking like <laughs> I'm about to ask a really stupid question, no, but excited. I can cut it out if I need to. Are we talking life-sized, like, person-sized? 
I think so. Oh, that's way less exciting. I was picturing like house size. Oh, oh. For oh, some oh. reason, when you said that, the first thing that popped in my head is just this like house size doll in their front yard. Also horrifying, but I think human sized. Just like a regular, like a mannequin. Sure. Okay. Either way. Um, so Rosalie took her to court, but Marie Laveau like smooth talked her way out of it. And so there were no consequences. And also the doll never came back. So everything was just fine. <laughs> cool. And she continued on being the voodoo queen because sit down, Rosalie. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the 1860s, she stopped practicing voodoo publicly, but everybody is pretty positive that she continued practicing into like well into old age, just privately. Yeah. But her daughter, Marie Laveau, started going by Marie Laveau II, and she took over. Or I guess she she was going by Marie Laveau. She is known in history as Marie Laveau II. Mm, okay. So she looked a ton like her mother. So they did this sneaky little trick where she started adopting her mother's walk and attitude, and she started wearing her mother's clothes. And so a lot of people believed that she was so powerful she couldn't age because her daughter... Are you about to tell me that they freaky Friday'd New Orleans? They sure did. Oh, my God. Stepped into her mother's role as voodoo queen. But here's the thing. She was, from all accounts, more wicked than her mother. And she was darker and she was an entrepreneur. And so it's possible that all of the darker stories about Marie Laveau were actually about Marie Laveau II. Whoa. Mm -hmm. What? So her quote-unquote divinations were supported by a network of informants and spies. Very Game of Thrones style. Yeah. Um, and it said that she had them from hairdressing from a brothel that she ran, which does not sound like her mother. You know, like that doesn't sound like a devout Catholic and voodoo practicing woman who just wants to help people would run a brothel. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and she would instill fear into the slaves of her wealthy clients, but then it also says that she was paying them and curing them of like really unique, strange diseases, mysterious ailments as they were called. And so I'm like, this sounds like two different people to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? That sounds like two different women. Um, but also there are questions of like, did she have two daughters named Marie? Which one was it? Was it her granddaughter that took over? Like, people literally don't know who Marie Laveau II was. Well, yeah, because she's got a banquet room full of kids. Like, no, But all, almost all of them died. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And so literally no one knows. Was it her first daughter? Did she have two daughters named Marie that survived? Was it her granddaughter? Like, people just don't know who Marie Laveau II is. Wow. Right? Weird. Weird, spooky. creepy, spooky. Spooky, spooky. Um, so we know that she died in 1881. Marie Laveau or Marie Laveau II? Marie Laveau. Okay. OG. Um, it's said that she died smiling on June 15th in 1881, and she was buried next to the love of her life and all of their kids. Um, her crypt is in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is the most haunted grave in America. Oh, my God. People have said that they have seen her walking among the tombs in her trademark turban, 
and whispering a voodoo curse on the disrespectful. But again, which woman? Oh, my God. Right? Was it original Marie Laveau or was it her daughter that's been whispering curses and which ghost is wandering around? Wow. Uh, so people will visit her grave with requests. And it again, this is kind of like some say that you mark her grave with an X, turn around three times knock on the grave and shout your request. And then if it's granted, you come back and some say that you mark three X's or that you circle your original X. I'm not sure you make a mark and then you leave an offering of gratitude, but it was getting vandalized so much that now it's gated and you can only see her grave with the tour guide. Wow. But also part of me is like, you shouted your request to the sky. How many people nearby heard that? <laughs> and they were like, mm-hmm. I'll buy your lunch tomorrow, whatever. You know? It's okay. the skeptic in me. I don't know. Two things. First of all, anybody who is shouting their request to be answered by a voodoo queen's ghost and having that request be, I hope someone buys my lunch tomorrow, needs hey. to, they need to up their game. Times are hard, Taylor. Second thing, it's still a cemetery. So you're just having people just shouting in the cemetery. Yes. yes. <laughs> just screaming in a cemetery and oh, knocking on the grave. Just terrible little, and also knock, hilarious. Knock, knock. Hello, anyone home? <laughs> I really want this person to love me. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Buddy. <laughs> There's just so much about that ritual that's hilarious to me. It's like, oh, I love that super spooky thing, and then scream our requests on a knocked grave. It'll be. I like the turn around three times, but that feels very like Bloody Mary to me. It does. It does. It feels very Bloody Mary. Um, so obviously she has lived like her legend has lived on and changed and. Rumors abound, and there's just big old question marks over all of her life. But overall, it just seems fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, American Horror Story, in their coven season, did a tribute to her. And yeah, Angela sure Patrick. did. I tried to look it up, but I am too spooked. And so that show really freaks me out. And so I didn't actually put in the time to watch that episode. Angela Bassett is in the entire season, and she's great. Isn't she in the series? Do they do that? Yeah, but but without getting... Yes, she is in the series, but she started in Coven. Oh, okay. Yeah, I watched the first episode of season one and was so spooked. I think, I think it was you that I forced you to tell me how the season ended, because I wasn't mm-hmm. going to watch the rest of it. That sounds right. Yep. Yeah, I think that happened. Um, but she's been in, you know, a whole bunch of TV shows, movies, and songs. But mostly the tributes to her are the darker version of Marie Laveau. And so I wonder yeah. if they're tributes to Marie Laveau the second, or if people just assume they're all they're both one person, or if people look past or just don't know about all the philanthropic things and assume that this person is the darker. And with all of the prejudice against the word voodoo and the idea of voodoo yeah. being part of the occult, if people just automatically 
assume that it's this dark magical practice. Yeah. Super possible. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, that's the story of Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen, also called the high voodoo priestess of New Orleans. Damn. So cool, right? So cool. Good one. Uh, I love her. Super good one. So cool. Do you want to source your shit? I would love to. Um, as always, my bouncing off pad was Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, which led me to a website called roadtrippers.com and the one called strangehistory.com. But most of it was from our good friends at All That's Interesting. Uh, ghost City Tours has a website where they talk about various ghost tours throughout the Fun. U.S. And it's super dope. I highly recommend it. And then Britannica Online had a bunch of information about her. And, of course, all of it is, like, this is substantial. Like, that's where I got the, like, this is where the christening, uh, not forms, what's the word I'm looking for, certificates are. And this is where the actual record, mm. so this is where rumor begins. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. This is what we know, and this is what we assume. Um, so Britannica Online was very, very helpful. And that's my shit. I love that. Thanks, man. I love it. Good work. A blast looking up everything about her life and learning about voodoo was super cool. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Ah, I'm going to sit back with my gin and my sleepy pup. It's my turn. Just doing a big old stretch them right now. Ready. Um. Okay, hang on. I'm going to take a sip of my diet cola. Yeah. Sweet Evan just got home. Hi, Evan. He, he hasn't popped in yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he forgot that we were recording and pops in, so. No worries. I'm sure once Trevor gets here, he will too, because he has missed the girl all day, and so she'll go bounding over and leap on him. Cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, I was going to do, well, it doesn't matter. Um. I have you ever heard of okay the, talk about some pronunciations this lady is French so we're just gonna roll I mean, with it do, but. I did list I did look up how to pronounce her name though have you ever heard of Elise Guy Blachet I sure have not oh my god great I, have, I don't know it so excited I was yeah. telling Evan about her this morning and he was like wow these are all really good facts. And I was like, I know, and I've never heard about her. So, um, okay. So her full name is Elise Ida Antoinette Guy. She was born in Paris in 1873. Um, I found literally one mention of her parents. Um, and it's that they were like basically bohemians. Like her dad was a bookkeeper, I think. And then her mom was, like a gardener, I think. I didn't really write it down because it w- never came up again. So so her parents lived in Chile. She was born in Paris. And then her mom went back to her dad in Chile and just left Elise with her grandmother. So, Until she yeah. was three. What, what a thing <laughs> that people keep doing. I wrote, they remembered they had a kid. So eventually they came back and got her and took her to Chile. Oh, that's nice. 
Like, she, like, was in Paris, and then her mom left almost immediately after having her, and then came back and got her when she was three. So then she spent some time in Chile, and that is the most that I know about her childhood. So um, she pops back up in when she was 22 in okay. France. Um, she starts working at this company run by this guy named Leon Gaumond. Okay. Um, and she he had started making movie cameras. He was a, a photographer. What did you call him? A, oh no. A camera maker. Like he made, you know, things. So was he like a cinematographer or was he a maker of the camera itself? No, no. So this is like, this is like the 1880s. So she, he was like just making like regular cameras. Okay. And but he, then, made, he manufactured the camera. Correct. Okay. And then started making motion pictures, but it was so early into those being a thing that he would kind of make these like little promos almost of like, here's how they work and then show them to clients. And Elise was watching these promos and she was like, okay, but these could be better. So she asked him if she could use some of the cameras on her own time to like try and kind of innovate the examples that they were sending out to clients. She was just working as a secretary and he was like, yeah, that's fine. As long as it doesn't interfere with your office work. Um, she was quoted as saying that he told her that it quote, seems like a silly girlish thing to do, <laughs> which like, first oh. of all, dude, she's trying to improve your business. Yeah, seriously. Can I like, make this better? Ugh, what a silly girlish thing to do. Excuse you, you bitch. So she makes her first, film um in 1896 it was called la fée aux choux or the cabbage fairy and it's like this really cute like you know two or three minute movie where like this lady is born in like a cabbage patch and then she grows up and she's like a magical fairy i don't know it i didn't it's very cute um adorable and like all of the like costumes and stuff in it are really cute. Um, but she's credited as being the first director to ever film a narrative story rather than just like unrelated little snippets of movie. That's so cool. She was the first person to be like, maybe we could like tell a story with this. So soon um, through doing this and through making like these little tiny movies, she becomes the head of film production for this guy, Leon Gaumond. So, um, she was the first to create an organized studio system that like we currently see where one studio is making a bunch of different things with a bunch of different people. So she kind of pioneered that whole business model, which is fascinating to me. What a, what a silly girlish thing to do. So girlish, so silly. So um, she ended up creating hundreds of films as the, head of film production she did a lot of different things too that like even people who were using movie cameras hadn't thought of doing she would add synchronized sounds to the film like years before talkies became a yeah thing. i was gonna say what like years and years she had like it was called um it was another thing that um this guy made like manufactured and it was called the crone bone and it basically was like i don't understand really how it worked but it was like wax that like they would play at the same time as the movie and it played sound. So it was like two different devices that just synchronized up. It was, it was wax, but sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, like the, not like, you know, like 
reels, like that material. Only yeah. this one was wax that they like ran through. Well, that makes no sense to me, but yeah, but I also don't really understand like how sound works. I don't know shit about sound, you know. I don't know shit about a lot of things. Right. So anyway, so she would like hand color some of the reels too to like get some color into her films. Like she used double exposure to get different effects. She figured out that um, to like get certain effects, she could uh, play it backwards and like have it look like it was rewinding. Like she basically figured out how to make movies artistic rather than just like a point and shoot thing, which is so interesting. That's Um, And like all of this in like, 1900 yeah so so cool um a fun fact that i thought you would like she directed a movie based on the hunchback of notre dame in 1905 centered on esmeralda yes yeah right so um in about a year she had directed a hundred short movies with sound and hundreds others without sound in a year gosh that's crazy so crazy so she eventually, she meets this guy, um, I'm assuming because it's French, it's a bear, but it's spelled Herbert, so I'm going to call him <laughs> Herbert. <laughs> oh, man, my super American English thinking mind. I don't know if you said a bear. Uh, I just pictured <laughs> A-B-E-A-R. And then Herbert was like a backhanded slap. <laughs> yeah, it's spelled Herbert. So anyway, wow. old, she she meets this guy Herbie. That's what yep. I'm gonna call him from yep. now on. I'm gonna call I him Herbie. I've never been so bitch slapped by my American white language understanding than right now. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Okay, so Herbie. Herbie, fully loaded. So she. Fully loaded. <laughs> she. <laughs> She meets him um, at Golan's company. He was a cameraman there. So, like, she's a little director and, like, studio head. And he's, like, a little cameraman. And they meet. And they fall in love. And they end up moving to the U.S. Um, in – they got married in 1907. So they probably moved somewhere, like, 1908, 1909-ish. Because sure. in 1910, she founds the Solax Film Company in Flushing, New York. Um in within two years, I sh- she founded it with Herbie, I should say. Like, okay. he helped. <laughs> okay. He was he was there helping. To be fair, Herbie helped out. Um, so Is it the name of another car movie? Herbie Helps Out? Oh, my God. It's the sequel to, I think, isn't Fully Loaded the sequel? I don't know. Who knows? There's so many of those movies. Oh, my God. Anyway, soon, Solox Film Company is too big for the facility that they built it in. In two years, it's Hell like yeah. outgrowing this facility. So Hell they yeah. moved the company to Fort Lee, New Jersey, which apparently was like the actual real old Hollywood. Okay. Cool. Fort Lee, New Jersey was like the original Hollywood. It's where all of the movies and everything were. That makes sense because New York has always been like the big place. And then once they outgrew themselves, they had to move to LA. Right? Yes. Yes. I mean, I think that's, I think that somewhere what happened. in the back of my brain, it was like all these movie people needed more space. And that was right when the West Coast was becoming cool. So they all moved to the West Coast. But originally it was in like, I think I just assumed New York, but New Jersey makes sense. Yeah. So it's in this like little 
little movie town. Um, so she, they moved there in 1912 and like girl was churning out movies. Like she completed up to three a week. Dang. What is that? How long are these movies? Not Does she sleep? They're not long. She, they're like, I mean, I didn't get like an actual time frame on them, but they're like five to 10 minutes at the most, I think. Like, but still three 10 minute movies in a week. It's so many. That's so many. That's and like, so she would do kind of everything for it. Like when they were out in Flushing, Ugh. she, or when they were in um, Fort Lee, sorry, she was known for um, being in her movies, directing them, writing them. She would scout locations for them. Like she was just constantly going and constantly Dang. making new movies. So she had hung up a sign for all of her actors that said, be natural backstage, oh. which I love. I love. Um, and it's oh, because she was that super, I know, I know it's cause she was super, super focused on like realism, both for the filming style and also for the performance. So, um, she did an interview in 1912 and a quote from her says, quote, I've always impressed upon my associate directors that success comes only to those who give the public what it wants. Plus something else that something else I would call our individuality, if you please. Ugh. I, I love, I love, yeah, like, yeah, of course that's how you get your audience to connect to what you're watching is if you make them like people instead of just little caricatures. So good. So good. And like a lot of the time, um, so most of this information came from uh, the New York Times and their article in it talks about how like, it's a little weird because this was pre like suffragettes. And she yeah. was, she had gone on record being like, I don't really know if women should vote, <laughs> like, which, mm. okay. But then she would do like all of these movies of women doing really empowering things. So like this New York Times article is interesting because they're like, yeah, like she probably would balk at it, at it, but she was definitely a feminist, like an early feminist. And it's a yeah. little weird that she didn't think of that like yeah it's just interesting that maybe she just like thought that like politics because like I didn't get super into politics until this whole Trump fiasco happened Mm -hmm. and so maybe she thought of it as like not her world I don't know like personally I guess but like as a whole for the whole gender you don't think anybody is ready to vote I don't know True. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, she. So the reason that she's my babe this week—it's <laughs> not just some random director. She was one of the first people to do any horror movies. So uh, she adapted um, Edgar Allan Poe's *The Pit and the Pendulum*, which I love, and a story called *The Vampire*, which I've never heard of. Um, she famously influenced out. Uh, influenced Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> like he was as one of his two favorite early directors which I think That's is great interesting because didn't he hate women um I think famously yes wow <laughs> yeah huh. yeah okay but you know maybe he thought Elise was a guy name <laughs> but either way either way um so all of this was during the Solax years, this film company. Um, right. In 1913, 
she and Herbie founded a different company and subsequently closed Solax in 1914. So she continued to work and direct at this new company, but eventually independent studios were kind of pushed out by big business studios. Okay. Um, so they, she wasn't as successful at the new company just because there was a lot more big budget competition all of a sudden. Yeah. So she worked here and there at different big studios, but um, nothing long-term or anything. Um, in 1918, Herbie fully loads up and he goes <laughs> off to California and leaves <laughs> Elise and their two kids and is like, oh. bye, I'm going to follow these movies. Have fun in New Jersey. Ugh. Which like, what a douchebag car. Herbie, be better. Be better. Um, yeah. So that left Elise running the studio on her own. So it quickly fell into bankruptcy and was eventually sold off um, oh. in the early 1920s. So in 1922, she moves back to her to France with her kids. Um, but for some reason, she wasn't able to find any film work. Um, Nobody really had any good answers for why. Because everybody's like, yeah, I mean, she, like, made a name for herself. So yeah. it's not super clear why she wasn't really able to find any work in France. But um, it's theorized that it just could be because by the 20s, movies had become an industry and dudes were involved, which meant that ladies couldn't be because yeah. of the way the world works. Thanks for all your innovation and making this a really cool thing. You can right. go knit now. Bye. Bye. Yeah. So while they're in France, um, well, not while they're in France, they're in Switzerland at this point. It's like into the, into like World War One. So okay. she, they are living in Switzerland because her daughter is working for the war effort and Elise starts writing her memoirs. And in the process of my writing her memoirs, she tries to track down all of her films and couldn't find hardly any of them. What? So she, so she famously in her memoir wrote that she wasn't sure if her life was a success or not, which breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, she had basically just been thrown out by the industry that she helped found, which is so gross. So she it's ended up... Male... Oh, dude, it's so upsetting. So um, she ended up dying in 1968, which is crazy. She was what? 94. Yeah. She lived for a long time. She was born in 1873. Good for her. So cool. Um, so she's, she's buried in Mawa, New Jersey. Her original headstone just had the names and the dates. But in 2012, the Fort Lee Film Commission, remember Fort Lee is where Solax was? I do. They made a new gravestone for her that states that she was, quote, the first woman motion picture director, the first woman studio head, and the president of the Solax company, Fort Lee, New Jersey. And they put the Fort, they put the Solax emblem on her new headstone. That's cool. Super cool. So um, all in all, by 1920, which was the year that she made her last movie, she had made over a thousand movies. What? Yeah. Like... A thousand movies in 20 in years. She 20 made years? a thousand movies. Oh. Yeah. yeah. She, so when she died, she thought that most of her movies had been lost to time. But since then, 
about 130 of them have been found, which when you consider that a thousand of them were made is like almost nothing, but still. Yeah. I'm I'm glad for those, but like screw all the people that lost the ones. I know. I know. It's really upsetting. Um, so in 2009, the Whitney Museum of American Art showed 80 of these films to the public for the first time. They did like a big screening. Oh, that's and so showed cool. off all of her films. I know. The Directors Guild of America awarded her a posthumous special directorial award for lifetime achievement, which is great. Uh, yeah. um, she had almost completely been forgotten, though. Like there are all of these articles being like, hey, I bet you've never actually heard of who the first director was because it's this lady that no one's ever heard of. Like, Wow. Yeah. So um, one of the other articles that I got was from CNN, and it was written in 2010 when Catherine Bigelow won Best Director for The Hurt Locker. So um, it was the first time, I guess, that a woman had ever won the Best Director Award in 2010. That's upsetting. Isn't it? And they've women have only been nominated four times since in, in 2010. I think that since then those statistics have changed, but I hope so. Like how gross, right? So, um, so this article was like, yeah, it's a big deal that Catherine Bigelow won and not the least of which, because the whole movie industry was started by women. Like how upsetting is it that all of these women filmmakers are just like lost to time. Yeah. So you're welcome men who like right. movies. Right. So um, Nancy O'Malley, who is the vice chairman of the Bergen County Lee Film Commission said, quote, Alice. Nope. Sorry. Her name is spelled Alice. So I keep having to catch myself, but it's pronounced Elise. Elise. Yeah. 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 Got it. Um, Elise had a vision of what she wanted to achieve. And I get the sense she never looked at being a, as a woman as a disadvantage. Her most important legacy is her fearlessness with which she directed and achieved her goals in life. She started as a very young woman, and from the beginning of her career, she followed her curiosity and desire to do good stories. Hell yeah. So much that she wasn't like, oh, I'm a lady, so I can't do this. Because first of all, there was no industry. She started the industry. She was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we told cool stories like this? She started the industry, and no one has ever heard of her. It's... Yeah, it's upsetting. Um, So the last little fun piece that I finally get to do, I'm stealing it from you this week. There's a documentary from 2018. Fun. Be Natural, the untold story of Elise Guy Blachet. Um, And it's narrated by my girl Jodie Foster. (laughs) Heck yes, Jodie Foster. Yeah. So everybody go and find that and watch it. That's super awesome. But it's gonna be great. Yeah, so that's wow. that's the really cool unknown story of Elise Guy Blachet. Wow, that's right. really cool, and it's upsetting that it is so unknown. So unknown. I love movies, and I watch them on the reg. And I had no now you idea. can shout it out to Elise. Oh my God, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Uh, will you do me a favor and source your shit? Sure will. So um, the New York Times, it's the same series that um, I got Grandma Emma Gatewood from, the Overlook No More. There are obituaries of people who didn't get an o- a New York Times obituary when they died. Adorable. So they like go back in time and like write obituaries for them, which is great. Um, That's super cool. So her 
It's called, the series is called Overlook No More. Um, and her article was written by Manola Dargis. Encyclopedia Britannica gave me a lot of great information. There's a really good mental floss article by a lady named Valerie Debendet named Elise Guy Blachet, Forgotten Film Pioneer. And Mental Floss does a similar series, and theirs is called Retrobituaries. Oh, nice. I do great. really like Mental Floss. They have some really fascinating stuff on there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a fun article to read. Um, the CNN article that I mentioned from 2012, written by Teo Kermeliotis. And then there was a good, the way that I like heard about her, um, there's an article on theweek.com written by a lady named Monica Bardizel, and it's called um, Four Female Filmmakers Who Pioneered Horror Movies, and she was number one. Dope. Dope. Yeah, and then it was cool in that same article because um, she's number one, and she's, like, listed as being the person that she, like, mentored some people that I had never heard of, and then they showed up later on the list and one of those people is the person who found Lon Chaney <laughs> like king of early horror movies so wow. it was fun like reading that list because she was number one and then you just saw all these other people who like made horror movies what they are today that yeah. have been influenced by her which is so cool so yeah that's really cool yeah super cool so wow. yeah that's my uh that's my spooky babe of the week I love it so much yeah. Oh, I want Fun to watch one. Documentary so badly. Me too. It's called Be Natural. Yeah, Be Natural, the untold story of Elise Guy Blachet. Amazing. Yeah. And Very for exciting. all of us Americans, her name looks like it's spelled Alice Guy Blatt. <laughs> but it's not. Got it. Got it. So, you know. Ugh. Yeah. So cool, dude. Yeah. I love it. Um, piggybacking, would you mind telling me your lady of the week? Sure. Um, so I'm breaking with tradition and I feel really awkward about it, but I think my lady of the week this week is me. Hell yeah. <laughs> and do not feel awkward about that. I feel really weird about that because oh. like I never, I am really bad with, feelings in general but especially like positive feelings about me so I feel really super weird about it but that's part of the reason that I'm doing it is because like just like dealing with this migraine and shit and like I don't know I I it's cool because I am starting to learn that like I kind of have to take more care of my mental health than I have in the past just because like this, it's so exhausting. It's just exhausting. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think that like when I talk to people about my migraines, everybody phrases it like that. Like my migraines as though there are plural of them, which makes it sound like there has been any break, but literally there has not been a single day since April 11th that my head or my head and other parts and of my vision. body have just been in pain. Like yeah. it's just been a constant thing and it's just exhausting. And so um, it's been a strange kind of like journey of figuring out like, Oh, okay. I have to really kind of like make an effort to take care of myself and like 
remember to eat even more than normal and um yeah and like feel proud of myself for like doing things like going to work like it's just you know like normal regular everyday things I I it's weird like giving myself the permission to feel proud of myself for doing that just because everything feels like it takes so much effort can I say something yes of course I feel like that's partly the point of this podcast is to empower you to feel proud of yourself. Yeah. Absolutely deserve to feel proud of yourself for. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I mean, even this, like it's, you know, the podcast is something that I've been kind of like daydreaming of doing for like a year and a half. And so I'm just really proud that like, that like I actually took the initiative and, and mentioned it to you because I had been thinking about it for so long. And then like my anxiety kept being like, no, she's going to think it's stupid. And then so that like, dude, like, I just, love that you mentioned it to me. And I remember exactly what part of Palmer we were driving past when you mentioned it to me. Me too. <laughs> because I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. Yeah. And just like sitting in that stupid Fred Meyer parking lot discussing names Mm-hmm. And, or gas station, I guess, not parking lot. And every, like, it was one of those things that I was like, oh, oh, that's good. That's exactly what we need to do. Yeah. It was, it was a great idea. I'm so glad that you mentioned it to me. And I'm so glad that I get to be the one that does it with you. No, I love it. I love it so much. And, it. and, but anyway, well, yeah. So, like, a little want- conceited and, I'm my lady of the week. I don't, I don't think it's conceited at all. I, I truly do not think it is conceited at all. I think that it is empowering and wonderful and truly very, very encouraging. And I hope that like, I know this sounds cheesy. I know how this sounds before it comes out of my mouth. Like ideally we should all be our own ladies of the week every week. Dude, a hundred percent. That's like, that's the goal, right? Yeah. I'm trying really hard to be very open about my migraine stuff because like, I know what a big deal it was for me when Bailey was so open about her chronic pain. And so like, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know who all is going through what in my life, but if knowing that like somebody else has chronic pain is super helpful. So I think it's really important. And I think you've been doing a great job. Thanks. I also, I try and I'm trying more to be open about my mental health situation because I think the more we don't talk about it, the more it becomes a thing mm-hmm. or yeah. we can be like, Hey, this really stresses me out. Or I've been working on this or like my body image issues or, you know, all of that. Like I'm, I'm working on it. I love it. I mean, that's like, the, that's the most you can do, you know, like nobody's great at it and it's, scary and vulnerable but like I remember one time um (laughs) I remember one time somebody told me like like yeah you know the two things that I know that you talk about are that you like love cats and that you have anxiety (laughs) and I was like I love that those are the two things that you associate with me and super not in like a facetious way like I am glad that people know that I have really bad anxiety because it makes a lot of things make a lot of sense all the time. And then like, we can have frank conversations about like, 
man, today sucked. Yeah, it sure did. But at least we're doing it together, you know? Yeah. And you don't have to feel bad about like, hey, I know I said I was going to go to this tonight, but like, I'm just not in that place and I can't and it's nothing against you. I just need totally. to. And I love sending and receiving messages like that mm-hmm. because it's a very honest, like, I don't want you to read into this as like, I'm mad at you or anything like that. I personally and emotionally cannot be around people right now. Yeah. And yeah. that is totally fine. And that's the thing, everybody you know, because it's. That. And, like, the way that I think of it is, like, if somebody responds negatively when you send a text like that or say something like that and they respond Woof. negatively or shittily, then that's something Woof. that I don't need in to my be- life. You know? like Ever. Anyway, that was a really long-winded Lady of the Week. No, I loved it. I truly, truly loved it. And I'm really, really proud of you. And I am so thankful to be doing this podcast with you and to be a very, very close friend of yours, dare I say best friend. I don't know. I want to put you into that corner. Dare you. Uh, I know. (laughs) Uh, I'm super proud of you and you're amazing. And I don't think it's conceited. And I'm glad that you made yourself your lady of the week. I'm I'm glad that you felt proud of yourself to make yourself your lady of the week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Me too. But now I feel awkward. Who's your lady of the week? (laughs) (laughs) Um, my lady of the week, is our girl Stacey Abrams. Uh, yeah. She has been, I just like, it clicked in my head this week that she, rather than run for office, get a book deal, win office, like pursue her career, she literally put her career on hold so that she could raise money to put groups on the ground in battleground states to stop gerrymandering and voter registration fraud mm-hmm. and voter oppression. Like she put her yeah. life on hold to make sure that people could vote. So she has this organization called fair fight 2020 where her goal is $5 million. And, um, the guys over at crooked media and pod save America, pod save the world, love it or leave it. All those wonderful pod guys. Uh, have raised 1 million of it or over 1 million at this point. Um, But basically her goal is to put 20 groups on the ground in 20 battleground states to make sure that people are registered to vote, that they know their rights, that they know who is running, that they know what that, like there are people going door to door in the 20 battleground states to make sure that create informed Yes. Yeah. That's great. She literally chose not to run for office so that she could do this. And it blows my mind. I am so impressed by this wonderful woman. Everything that she has ever said in speeches or online or in interviews, whatever it is, I've always been like, hell yes. Why haven't people Mm -hmm. done this sooner? Also, why is it necessary that people need to do this? Very upsetting. However, right. I am right. so glad that someone as um, as powerful and as inspiring as her has taken the initiative because she is getting she is gaining so many followers and believers and donors as she should. Yeah. And I wish I could give her five million dollars, but me too, man. I just get real fired up about Stacey Abrams. I love it. Me too. And if you guys do have money, 
even a few bucks, I'm sure it helps. Fair Fight 2020. Let's freaking do this. What a good name for it, too. I know. We're a year away. Let's make it a fair fucking fight. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, dude. This was great. This was great. As always. Super good. Um, oh, make sure and uh, subscribe to us. <laughs> oh, do those things. If you are uh, still sticking around. Um, we are on Facebook and Twitter. And, and Instagram. Instagram and Gmail. All at BabetownPod. Um, Rate, review, subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Anchor. We're basically wherever you found the one that you're currently listening to, where we're telling you this. We're there. You found Just us. Just go back to there. wherever you found us, and Just we'll still keep, be there. You keep doing you. You're yep. killing it, champ. I love you, and I love these babes, and I love this podcast, and I love these people. I love our three fans. Ah, four. We have four fans. Four. Our four fans. Jeez. Dancing on the oh, street. We got our four fans. I love you, and I hope that your head feels better the rest of this week. And Thank then you. it just poofs away. Not your head, but your migraine. The migraine, yeah. I feel like I should Thanks. Me too. Me too to all of those things, but especially to the being a big fan of you thing. Same time next week? Uh, Yeah, dude. I'm in. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. Great. Have a wonderful night. I love you. Thanks. You too. I love you. Yeah. Bye. Bye.